Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of OP Radio. We have another fascinating, interesting episode lined up for you today with another great guest. Before I allow them to introduce themselves, though, I'd first like to give my colleague, Smith, an opportunity to say hello. Good morning, Smith. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, how's everyone doing? I'm actually really excited to talk to the guest speaker here today. It just like really molds well with like what I used to do before optimism and just how I used to like mess around with the space. So yeah, definitely excited. Yes, me as well. I think there will be some some really fascinating insights uncovered in this conversation. So without further ado, let's just hop right into it. I'd like to introduce Miguel. He's the founder and CEO of Arkham. Miguel, is there anything you'd like to say to the folks on OP Radio or anything else you'd like to add to your title there? Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Good morning. And good morning to all the all the listeners. Really excited for to have this conversation with everybody. Well, we're super excited to have you here, Miguel. So let's just first, for people who may not be familiar with Arkham, let's give them a quick overview of, of what Arkham Intelligence is. Can you explain in a, in a few words, Miguel, what, what Arkham is? Yeah, of course. So Arkham is a blockchain analytics company focused on creating entity pages for users in the cryptocurrency ecosystem. So whenever somebody actually enters the space and starts trading cryptocurrencies, they'll they'll have some kind of address, either in hot wallet or cold storage that is associated to them. Now that everything has kind of gone multi-chain, though, each individual can actually own many different addresses across many different chains. And so at Arkham, we essentially built technology that allows you to search for people's portfolios and transactions across these different addresses, all in a single, very easy to use view. Awesome. Thank you for that. And I, I want to definitely get into more detail. But first, Miguel, I'm actually I'm curious about just your personal origin story. How did you get started with crypto? How did you get started founding Ar- Arkham? Like, where did this idea come about? So I, I knew that I wanted to to go into kind of, you know, entrepreneurship more broadly. And I wanted to to start an interesting company because that that's what I wanted to work on. I didn't want to kind of follow the the traditional corporate ladder. And so once you kind of decide that, you want to be entrepreneurial and you want to start a project. One of the most important questions that a founder should should be asking themselves is, you know, what market do I want to go into? Even before necessarily trying to to think of what kind of thing to work on specifically, it's much more important to decide what what ecosystem you're going to be a part of. And so for that, I, I basically had a very simple question to ask myself, and that was, which market do I think is growing the fastest, and which market do I think the most talented people are are most excited about and, and going into. And I think for me, back when when I joined the space in, in 2016, 2017, crypto was definitely the answer. It was it was growing a lot faster than any other part of the economy that I could see. A bunch of people were were doing really interesting projects, a bunch of really smart people who who I would have loved to work with were going into the space full time. And that was unlike any other space that that I could think of in terms of where I would want to build my project. And in fact, it, it reminded me a lot of the kinds of ways that people describe the internet in the early days when they would reminisce about what the internet was like and how much you know talent was going into it and how fast it was growing. That reminded me a lot of crypto. And so that's kind of how I ultimately landed on deciding that I wanted to build a crypto project. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It reminds me a little bit of my own thinking. You know, there's a lot of different ways to get exposure to crypto. And in my opinion, one of the best ways is to get employed in the industry or create a project and just start building, which is the route that you ended up taking. So 
when you were so you made this decision like you you wanted to build in crypto how did you settle on arkham and the problem that it solves can you walk us through that so before working on arkham i actually worked on a stablecoin called reserve protocol and reserve was focused and is focused still on you know providing a stablecoin for hyperinflationary economy so kind of you know real world use case and then in in 2020 i basically had the the you know, went about and actually formed our and created Arkham based off of some of my my learnings and experience from my time at at Reserve, namely wanting to actually use a product where I could understand more about users, where I could understand more about who the people using different kinds of cryptocurrencies were in a way that would be very easily accessible. So, you know, one of the things that's super important as as a startup is actually knowing your customer, but that's really hard to do when you know you're operating something like a stablecoin. Uh, and, you know, there's just a bunch of addresses interacting with one another. And so this problem actually, you know, after having conversations with other founders in the space, including people who worked at trading and market making firms, exchanges and so forth, it basically seemed like many people were having, you know, this kind of fundamental issue of trying to understand what is going on behind that Ethereum address, you know, who who is actually behind it that I can know, you know, what to do next, whether it's, you know, trading with this particular counterparty, whether it's showing them this advertisement, whether it's pursuing this market, uh, it didn't matter. But ultimately, the number one problem was just figuring out who was behind the transaction. And so that's kind of how I, I, I formed that initial idea for Arkham. And I started working on that initial technology to try to figure out, okay, well, if you have a bunch of raw blockchain data, and you have a bunch of, you know, other information across the internet, how can you actually tie those two together to get to the point where, you know, an address actually belongs to an actual individual or, or an institution? And that kind of took us multiple years of, of development before ultimately in 2022, we finally started working on our front end and then launched our beta in August. Interesting. Yeah. That, and that segues very nicely into my next question, which is what differentiates Arkham? I think, you know, people who are in the space may or may not be familiar with with block explorers. This is how you sort of see transactions on chain. One of the most popular ones being like Etherscan. So I'd really like to know like when when you were when you were getting started, what how are you how are you approaching that? And how does Arkham sort of differentiate itself from something like Etherscan? That's a really great question because one of the reasons why we, we built Arkham the way we did was because we were power users of, of Etherscan and I was a power user of Etherscan. And I basically, you know, through that process of using that product, learned a ton about what more I wanted out of it than, than what it was currently giving me. Uh, and so I would say the fundamental difference between Arkham and other block explorers, including Etherscan, is the fact that the default way people do search on Arkham is via what we call entities. And entities is basically comprised of individuals and, and institutions who you can actually just look up directly by name. So for example, within Arkham, you could just type, you know, Miguel, or, you know, you could type somebody else's name, or you could type, you know, an institution like Binance, uh, and then it would show you all of the cryptocurrency related activity to that individual or to that institution. Versus other block explorers, the kind of fundamental way in which people do search is with addresses. And so you basically, you know, you get access to an address either because it's your own or somebody reveals it to you. You plug that address in uh, and then you look at that address interacting with a bunch of other addresses rather than typing in the name of a person and then looking at all of the other people who they're interacting with on chain. That felt like a much more natural way of getting in access to information and being able to do diligence 
than needing to, you know, remember this long string of texts and, 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 you know, alphanumerics. Uh, and that was kind of the fundamental, the, the fundamental difference and, and way in which we built Arkham as opposed to the other products. Do you, do you think, is there like a secret sauce to kind of getting these entities together? You mentioned that this is kind of like a data gathering initiative. I've used the Arkham entity kind of feature. I've always found it super useful. Is it a super manual process to grab all that data? Is there like a connectivity algorithm? How, how are you doing it? So there's definitely a secret sauce. We spent a, a, a long amount of time kind of, I, I sort of think about it in terms of two components. Number one is the actual like infrastructure and, and backend data architecture that we use in order to collect data, aggregate it, clean it up, make it easily, you know, queryable. And then the second piece is then the actual front end which surfaces that data to the end user. And that's its kind of own challenge in a way. And so, you know, what one kind of core thing about our front end is, you know, I think a bunch of people find that we have an interesting aesthetic. So, you know, being able to design something that's actually beautiful and easy to use can be, you know, a challenge. The second thing is actually knowing what data to show the user. And so given that, you know, we have a bunch of information on our back end, but we have a limited amount of information on the screen, we need to make decisions about what to show users at a given time or when they click a button, you know, so on and so forth. And so, you know, that that's kind of its own process with respect to with respect to the back end and how we actually go about doing this process of, of forming entities to answer your question directly. No, actually, the majority of it is not manual because there, there's just so much data, so many addresses, so many entities to actually work with to where, you know, it would be impossible if we needed to do this by hand. And so the overwhelming majority of the information that is found on Arkham is actually found uh, algorithmically by a variety of, of our kind of different systems for data collection, aggregation, and analysis. And then if it's kind of like a new entity or something that's higher priority or kind of like a very important label, then it actually goes through a manual review process. But that's already at the point where we have a very high confidence that a particular address is owned by a particular person or, or institution, at which point then it is manually reviewed. But otherwise, you know, we have hundreds of millions of labels on, on, on Arkham from a variety of these different addresses. But, you know, we only have like a 15 person team. So, you know, it would be impossible for us to do that all by hand. Miguel, I just want to circle back to to a point you made earlier about sort of what distinguishes Arkham. It reminds me, I want to draw a parallel to ENS, Ethereum Name Service. There's a lot of concepts in crypto that off the bat may or may not be intuitive for the average person. For instance, your address is this long string of characters, and it can be quite confusing and a little bit intimidating for people first using crypto. But one thing people are familiar with is something like names. So that's what ENS does, is it gives a human-readable name to an address. And I see Arkham doing something similar where, you know, you, if, you, if you go on Etherscan for the first time, or, or even me, still, I, I look at it and I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss for what to do. But we're all familiar with things like a social graph and social networks, and we're, we all have friends and we all have groups of friends and so it's just a lot more intuitive to understand these different interactions happening on the blockchain in that way. I completely agree. I think that, you know, ENS and Arkham are actually quite compatible with one another. So the way I like to think about it is ENS is actually a way for a person to opt into creating an identity and associating it with on-chain 
activity, right? So when I create an ENS, I am purposefully creating, you know, an Ethereum name service domain, which then is affiliated with an address, which I own, and I'm broadcasting that to the world and saying, this is my on-chain activity purposefully, right? And so what a service like Arkham does is, you know, that ENS actually is only owned by uh, one wallet, right? On one particular chain, Ethereum. However, that person might have significantly more activity outside of just that address, or maybe they have it on a different chain. And so what we do is we can actually aggregate all of that information in a automated fashion. So many people who, you know, potentially own an ENS, you know, they might have a bunch of other wallets that are owned by them, which are constantly interacting with each other. And then using Arkham, you can actually find those clusters of addresses and see that they all belong to the same person. So that you you go beyond just the address that is owned by an ENS to the ENS basically being tied to all of their blockchain activity everywhere else, not just Ethereum or in that particular address, which I think makes it, you know, 10 times more useful than it otherwise would be. Yeah, this is a recurring theme in conversations I've had on OP radio and just with people in the in the crypto space in general. And it's this idea of sort of abstraction. We talk about account abstraction as it refers to wallets, you know, basically just this idea, a lot of the under under the hood details, if you will, are going to be uh, simplified. And and some of them maybe you won't even need to see or or want to see unless you unless you want to, but it's going to be abstracted to such an extent that it just makes these things a lot easier and more intuitive for the average user to use. I think that's the direction that crypto needs to head in more broadly. You know, there, there's really no need for for people to see all of the, you know, the the sort of piping and other infrastructure for for, you know, the cryptocurrency ecosystem. I think that that's fine for like a, a niche group of technical power users. Uh, but the reality is that if we really want this industry to to grow and, you know, we, we want to be able to 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 have a significant number of users who aren't just like, you know, doing crypto full time, then it's going to need to to be abstracted away. And eventually crypto should be as easy to use as, you know, a platform like Venmo or like PayPal so that we can get to ma- real mass adoption. 100% couldn't couldn't agree with you more. And talking with a lot of people in the industry, I think that's the general consensus. I think everybody pretty much agrees that's the case. Okay, so you started you started this on-chain data analytics platform. I'm curious how you first heard about optimism and sort of what your impressions were when you when you started learning about the optimism ecosystem. Yeah, so I think the first time I actually heard about optimism, it was when I was learning more about sort of rollups and layer twos and sort of the, the infrastructure and technology that was being built in order to make Ethereum significantly more scalable. So obviously, over over the years, there were many times where I recall, you know, different blockchain networks being very congested, uh, or having, you know, a significant number of issues, like even with respect to something like gas fees, right. And so that's when I started doing significantly more research into projects that were trying to solve this problem, optimism being one of them, of course. And so that's actually how I kind of first got into the into the ecosystem. Obviously, as you guys became uh, one of the largest ones, then it sort of was a natural fit, where as more and more activity on chain started moving towards optimism, obviously, we want to be able to, to to cover that and to and to have our users be able to get use out of Arkham, if they're participants in the optimism ecosystem and vice versa, you know, you have a bunch of users who are very interested in looking at their activity and looking at other people's activity on optimism. And so it was a very kind of 
natural fit for us to, to, to collaborate and add support for the network. Yeah. And Arkham went live on Optimism, I, I think a few weeks ago. So I'm curious, Miguel, if you've had a chance, you know, it's been live. Have there been any interesting insights that you've been able to glean from the on-chain activity since Arkham got integrated with Optimism? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we monitor different kinds of information that can be found on chain. And so, you know, with respect to optimism in particular, some of the stuff that I think is most exciting has just been the overall growth of the ecosystem, especially this year and in, in, in 2023. Obviously, you know, the, the kind of market as a whole during 2022 went through some really turbulent times. And so it's incredibly bullish to actually see how much things are growing in this year. So some of the stuff that I think is is most interesting is just the overall amount of, of value within optimism has grown significantly, actually something like two to three X uh, since January. And that's not just, you know, in terms of overall sort of dollar amount of volume and, and value that's on optimism, but also cryptocurrency, right? As a whole, the, the amount of value and in crypto and in any other form of money is, uh, is, is growing significantly in, in on optimism. Uh, and so I think that that is, is, is super interesting. I think that one of the things that actually has broader market implications with respect to that is that the over, if you look at the overall kind of amount of on-chain value within optimism, stable coins have actually decreased significantly since January as part of the overall sort of value on-chain within optimism from something like 40% down to 20%. And so that shows that people are actually going more risk on, they're more bullish, and they're actually deploying their capital away from, you know, just holding stables to actually deploying into the ecosystem and, and trying to accumulate more. And so I think that that overall is, is a really positive sign, both for optimism, but also for the space as a whole. I'm curious what you think, because I've noticed that Arkham does a lot of like this educating on their Twitter, they're actually using their platform live with these protocols. How do you think about educating the world on like how to use the tool? And then also on top of that, are you guys just like kind of doing this on the side? What's your what's your background when it comes to like analyzing networks and protocols and whatnot? So yeah, so with respect to the the Twitter, obviously I I we have someone who runs our our social media full full time. It's kind of, you know, they have control over it and they end up, you know, making posts as they please about what they think is interesting and what actually brings value to the Arkham community and to the communities of people we collaborate with and our, and our partners. And so as part of that, like you mentioned, uh, we f- will frequently post stuff just kind of showing how we use the platform, interesting stuff that we see on chain and, you know, giving people inspiration for how they can use Arkham in similar ways in order to either you know, find alpha or derive other kinds of other kinds of value, right? And so I think overall, the, the, the way I think about that is, there is a, a whole kind of ecosystem of tools that exist within the crypto space, that is kind of meant to give people access to information and access to data. And the majority of these tools actually fall into into two categories. The first is that they are incredibly difficult to use, especially for people who aren't necessarily technical. And so there's a very, you know, high bar to actually being able to 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 use these kinds of tools like, you know, Etherscan would probably be on the lower end of, of that kind of example, where I think for like a normal person who doesn't have very much crypto experience, it can be quite difficult to use. But then once you're past the learning curve, then, you know, it kind of becomes like a fundamental tool and, you know, throughout your crypto journey. 
but you know, still pretty hard to use. And obviously there's a bunch of other stuff that that's even more difficult to use. Like, I don't know for if people here have, you know, actually gone and ventured out to tr- attempting to use Bitcoin block explorers, but those like way worse and harder to use than, you know, other kinds of block explorers. So like, that's one example of that. The second, rather than difficulty of use, is actually the fact that it's super expensive. So then there's a whole kind of like brand of tools that are, you know, either inaccessible because you have to get on a sales call and sign a contract in order to get access to the tools, or it's just like ridiculously expensive and you have to pay $10,000 a year to get access to it. What I think is interesting about Arkham is the fact that at least I think, and we've gotten the feedback that we're very accessible and very easy to use. And then the second thing is that anybody can get on and they don't have to pay any money right now, right? And so both of these things make it incredibly easy for people to extract value out of our service that then they can go and and use in the real world, in the crypto market towards their own goals. And I think that that's super beneficial. So that's one of the reasons why we actually, you know, try to help people with these tutorials and with all the information on our Twitter to actually, you know, A, get the product out there so that they sign up and then B, actually give them the information and instructions that they need to extract as much value as possible out of it. Miguel, you mentioned accessibility as as one piece of feedback you've gotten from users. I'm curious about more specific use cases, if we can put ourselves in the in the user's shoes here for a minute. How are people using Arkham? Is there is there a common use case that you found? So I think one of the there's yes. So the answer is yes. There's a couple of different use cases that have been very popularized. The first is actually analyzing flows between entities. That is probably number one. So being able to say, okay, this set of, you know, professional hedge funds or trading firms is doing X, Y, Z, you know, they're buying X, you know, they're selling Y, they're profiting off of Z, right? That's one kind of use case where people enjoy uh, and, and find it very valuable to analyze what professionals are doing in, in the crypto space. And that was something that was not possible, you know, earlier on, because even if you have access to you know, the on-chain information, as we discussed before, you're just looking at a bunch of alphanumerical strings interacting with one another, but you don't know who those people are. You have no idea what's going on. Versus with Arkham, you can actually get on and then see it by name, even without necessarily looking the person up, right? I mean, on our homepage, we have a block explorer and it has like a live feed of stuff that's rolling in. You can set a filter on that for, you know, specific tokens or USD value, or, you know, other kinds of information that might be valuable to you specifically, and then just watch the information roll in, uh, and then do with it as you please, right? So I think that's one really important use case. I think to give another example, many people also will track market makers. So very frequently, you know, when projects launch, they work with market makers, especially when there's new kind of like exchange listings in the crypto space, people like to analyze where the flows of like the treasury, the team and the market makers are going. Uh, and then they'll set alerts, for example, for any kind of major activity that might then, you know, impact the market of that asset overall. And so I think that those are two of the kind of primary use cases that go just beyond analyzing simple transactions, or for example, like using our visualization, which gives you the ability to actually see like a network analysis of all the people who who an entity might be interacting with. So yeah, I would say those are kind of more direct use cases. 
Awesome. Yeah. And I know Smith has been using Arkham. So I, I'm curious to hear, not to put you on the spot here, Smith, but what your experience has been and, and how you've been using it. Yeah. Yes, Smith. Tell us what your experience <laughs> has been like. The live review. I will, I will totally give you guys my thoughts. <laughs> so maybe I can give you a little bit of background. Miguel, I'm not even sure you know about sort of like the origin story of like optimism and how they actually got connected to Arkham as well. But we were looking for a tool initially to do two things. The first thing was to help us track our governance grants, because one of the most difficult things to do is to give out grants in high volume, but also be able to make sure that they're all good actors and making sure that the grants are being distributed to particular wallets that we actually are aware of. And sometimes this is a difficult thing to do for our committees without the right tools. So a couple of our committee members actually requested Arkham in that scenario to help them understand what's going on with the flow with the governance grants. So that was one use case that I thought was super cool for optimism. The other use case was something from our partner team, specifically our DeFi team. We wanted to try to track and see what some of the large actors on optimism are doing. And we could do it manually. And we found that it was very hard to tag the entities. That was the first thing. And the second thing was, is that there's no like easy, nice dashboard where you can just keep adding wallets and track them as you go. And I messed around with the Arkham platform pre-optimism and noticed that you guys already had the feature built out. So that's a unique use case that I would have loved to have on optimism at that time. And that, that actually propelled one of the initial conversations with the team for that particular feature. So yeah, very useful. Glad to hear it. That segues nicely. I think I think we're caught up to speed with the present, Miguel. I'm curious about if you have any plans as far as it relates to Arkham and Optimism, specifically what the roadmap looks like, and or maybe you can just answer sort of more generally what Arkham's roadmap looks like. Yes. So anybody who's seen our Twitter recently knows that you know we ship pretty fast. And we have been focusing on adding support for as, as as much blockchain infrastructure as possible, right? We we want to get coverage of the kinds of protocols and networks that people are using. Uh, hence, obviously, adding Optimism as one of the largest ones. And so I think going forward, we're going to continue to do that. I think something new and interesting that we kind of haven't talked about before, but is definitely coming and anybody who's been monitoring what we're shipping will, will probably not be surprised by this, but we're intending to add significantly more DeFi infrastructure very soon. So right now, Arkham is focused on things like you know transactions, but pretty soon we're actually going to start offering support for things like being able to monitor TVL, for example, and being able to see what, what people are doing within actual like raw DeFi infrastructure, you know, borrowing and lending and so forth as well. And, and so I think that's going to unlock like a whole other category of information and rabbit holes that people can go into beyond just people interacting with one another via like, you know, transactions. So I'm very excited to be adding significantly more DeFi coverage very, very soon. I know Smith's going to be excited for that. Smith, I, I feel like we're close to sort of winding down here. Is there anything else you want to ask our guest before we wrap this up? No, I think that was that was great. I think just helping the optimism ecosystem understand one, like, is Arkham completely open for everyone to register and test out the platform? I know when I first registered, it was like in beta. So you needed like an invite and whatnot. But yeah, just giving everyone here, maybe like a 
take on like where you guys are at with the optimism ecosystem right now? Definitely. So right now we, we're still in beta. There's a wait list. Anybody can go and, and sign up on ArkhamIntelligence.com. There's also a link on at Arkham Intel, which is our Twitter. All you have to do is fill out basic information and then, you know, eventually you'll receive an invite. Otherwise, in order to skip the wait list, you can be invited by somebody who's already an Arkham user. Very frequently, people will, you know, post on Twitter that they've been accepted and they have some invites. And so generally, you know, you can contact them. Or if you have a friend who uses Arkham, you can get an invite there too. But essentially, as we continue to, to scale, you know, we've had a ton of growth. And so overall, we need to continue developing our infrastructure to keep offering a very, very, you know, high level of, of support and, and uptime and, you know, speed and all of the things that people have come to rely upon and also sort of associate Arkham with, right? The fact that, you know, we have a really fast platform, you know, the load times are very quick and overall, you know, the service is very easy to use. As we continue to scale, we want to maintain that. And so at least for right now, um, that's the current system. Eventually later this year, there will be a full public launch at which point anybody will just be able to join Arkham directly by signing up. So super excited for that. But at least for now, you can find it on our Twitter or you can find it on our website and go ahead and sign up. There you go. Sounds easy enough. Well, Miguel, with that, I think we're going to wrap this episode of OP Radio up. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for all the listeners. Just a reminder for everybody, OP Radio is a weekly Twitter space slash podcast. We hold every Wednesday at 4.20 p.m. UTC. So we hope to catch you for the next one. And 25 episodes have been edited and uploaded to YouTube, Spotify, Google, Apple. So you can go back and listen to those. And this episode will be up there eventually as well. So thank you once again, Miguel. And thank you, Smith. And thank you, all the listeners. Hope everybody has a great rest of your day. We'll see you later. Thank you. Thanks, guys. See you soon.